0: And welcome to this golf podcast. Unlike any other, this is your old pals at Fairway
1: Rollin'.
0: The golf podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. I am your starter, Joe House, on the line as always. Is our PGA Tour correspondent on the ground, Nathan Hubbard? We have also joining us this week. We had to check in with our old pal, Jason Sobel at Golf Bet and the Action Network, because there is some action going down. There was a very interesting angle to the broadcast, the telecast of the CJ Cup at Shadow Creek. Nate Dogg and I are going to talk through what's happening. This upcoming week is Sherwood because Nate got to play there. Nate was also in Las Vegas, so we've got some real boots on the ground experience. Jason Sowell is going to help us with some picks when we talk about the Zozo at Sherwood. Tiger is back. That's exciting. Let's just walk over. The first tee is wide open. Let's throw a peg in the ground and get this thing going.
2: Hey, dog, what's happening? The fall of the forgotten continues, House. The old guys, they're winning. The old guys? Is Jason Kokrak old? He's like 35. Yeah, I mean, it it, it, it
0: fits. It fits the, the, the program that we're on. You know what he's not? He's not young. He's not under 30. He's not one of the young guns. He's not one of the guys that we had penciled in as a potential winner for this contest at Shadow Creek. Nate Doug, You were in Las Vegas this most recent
2: weekend for some professional golf. How was it out there? man I got to tell you that last week and this week are going to be, I think, the two most beautiful condition courses that they're going to play this year outside of Augusta, maybe winged foot. But boy, back to back, it's not going to get any better than this. It was absolutely a stunning piece of property. And you just never knew you were in Las Vegas, except every now and then the stratosphere space needle would peek up over the North Carolina pines that they somehow managed to keep alive around that golf course. And it is really a, I wish we could play more events there because the guys loved it. Uh, You know, when you really look at the leaderboard in the top 20, we had almost all of the big names hanging around. But. Kokrak, I mean, we should have seen this coming. This is a guy who entered the week, our boy Justin Ray uh, sent out a note. He entered the week with the third most official earnings in PGA Tour history by a player who'd never won a tournament. And from the restart, he looked great. He tied for third at the restart, but then he had a bunch of missed cuts and withdraws, and we have not been talking about him at all. But then... T-15 at the Wyndham, T-13 at the Northern Trust, T-6 at BMW, T-17 at the U.S. Open. So we should have seen this coming.
0: Well, here's the thing that upsets me. And I really feel like this is kind of an ongoing theme. And I'm glad that we have Jason Sobel on for today's show because he can help fill in some blanks. I will tell you in my own research As the week arrived, as we looked at how the CJ Cup might play out, a select field, only 78 golfers, an invitational, so not a massive field. But when we're trying to split hairs and pick some guys that might have an advantage over others, I would have really liked to have known that Jason Kokrak has a long track record of playing money games at this very golf course. And not only that, he has a lot of experience on these greens. And in fact, Jason Kokrak beat the field by over 10 points in terms of strokes gained putting. His strokes gained putting advantage over the field was like 10.3 or something. A 10-stroke advantage on these greens, and it took me reading – the reviews after the fact, to understand, to comprehend, to learn that he has been playing this venue in, in a variety of different money games because of his affiliation with MGM for a number of years. That's
2: important information, Nate Dog. Well, it was interesting. In the interview afterwards, he really gave his caddy, David Robinson, no affiliation to the admiral a ton of credit for just reading those lines on Sunday. I think if we had really, and we'll talk to Sobel about the live odds and the betting, but if we'd, you'd really pushed the needle in our arm coming into Sunday, we would have told you, boy, I, Xander Shoffley's hanging around. He threw it in reverse on Saturday with a little bit of a bed shit round. He might've, he might've gone out to Tau on Friday night. I don't know. But Saturday wasn't his best performance, but he still was hanging around Russell Henley's been striking the ball really well. Justin Thomas is, you know, he's within range. There are a bunch of ball strikers who were hanging out there. I, you just didn't see eight birdies, no bogeys, and 10 shots gained putting versus the field, you know, coming. A- and, and we say that on Sunday, he also had 85% of his fairways and 94% of his greens, all but one. So I, the, the guy just played lights out on Sunday. And that's how you go Win a golf tournament. We've seen a couple of these tournaments uh, since since the beginning of the wraparound season, where it felt like some guys just couldn't grab it by the throat, and that's why Stewart Sink was able to win. That's why Sergio Garcia was able to win. But this tournament, Jason Kokrek after a long time, went out and won it.
0: Yeah. Anytime you have 232 tries at something and you break through on 233, I mean testament to, tip of the hat to, that uh, tenacity, that persistence, get the job done, Jason Kovac, and by the way, he made a nice living in the meantime, right?
2: Yeah, and and, and this course, I mean, it's it, he had the inside knowledge, and again, if we'd had the inside knowledge of his inside knowledge, we might have thought about it differently, but it, it proved to be what we thought, which is a, a course in just immaculate condition that was absolutely a second-shot golf course because the greens really firmed up as the week went on. They were tough. You had to place them in the right spots. But I got to say to everybody who is thinking about a guys' golf weekend, guys' and girls' golf weekend in Vegas, that is a course you have got to play. You just cannot believe what it is. I mean, I pulled out of there. I made a left. I went about 200 yards, and I was in the parking lot of the five guys, which, by the way, <laughs> oh, shout, delightful. Out, sh- shout out Lanto Griffin mowing a, a Friday night Five Guys, I think. Why wouldn't he? It's delightful. Why not? Well, the, you wouldn't because the food at Shadow Creek in the clubhouse is apparently oh. so great. You never really need to leave.
0: But, well, you said apparently. So that means you did not get the taco bar, the nacho bar. You did not get the, the margarita machine. What are you doing? Why did we send you
2: there? The COVID bubble... Uh, precluded me from invading the clubhouse to do that. That's not to say that I didn't have a margarita. Okay,
0: good, good, good.
2: Or that, I, that that I didn't eat well. Well done. Uh, well done. I had a delightful turkey sandwich on site and so forth, but I think that they really had locked down the clubhouse there. But the course is absolutely a destination. And I just hope that we can do a few more of these, you know, ch- tournaments for charity that are starting to sprout up everywhere and get to see this course again. Because so much of what's in Vegas feels Uh, a little bit contrived. You know, you go and you see the big built inside things, right? A little? A little bit? Just a little bit. But this (laughs) was as authentic a golf course as you could ever feel. And so it's the piece of property. It's not Augusta, but it's Augusta-like in that it's in a bowl. And so it's sort of hidden from the strip malls that surround it. They've used the property brilliantly. And every hill and valley and you know, bit of, of water. It just feels so real. And also every piece of pine straw is immaculate and in place. So they did a wonderful job this week and can't wait to see what's going to come out of Sherwood next week. We'll talk about that in a second because I have got to ask you, and we'll ask Sobel this because he picked Xander Shuffley, but should we feel great about Xander or should we feel not so great about second place Xander?
0: No, no, no. We we feel great. He's a youth. He's he's a kiddo. I mean, he he still he keeps having these finishes around the hoop. Most runner ups in the last four seasons in these prominent tournaments, especially like you know the reason that you jump on Xander's back for this is because he absolutely is is spectacular in no cut events. I mean his 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 collection of top fives in the no cut events is is unparalleled. And he continues to make bank, like not just a small amount of bank, giant bank. But I have three things that I want to bounce off of you in relation to a couple of your observations. In the first place, including Shadow Creek on your itinerary for a guy's or gal's weekend to Las Vegas, takes the price tag if you have to pay full freight. Now, this is the thing, right? You might have to figure out a way to negotiate a non full freight price to get yourself onto shadow Creek. But the going rate at the moment, Nate dog, I believe is $500 or $550. So if you're going to put that on your list, then you, you make sure across the board that you, you cut some corners and save some dollars and dimes in other places.
2: You just win it by betting on golf and not (laughs) listening to our
0: picks. So that's, that's one thing I just want to observe it's not inexpensive. Now, you are there and your testament makes it clear that you believe that it's worth whatever the price tag is that people are that they ask for because it's it's immaculate, the experience is wonderful. I my own self have been fortunate enough to play there. I played there like 4 years ago in August and I was like one of the only two people out there on the golf course and it was just me and the caddy. And I had a wonderful time. It was it was absolutely spectacular. I did not get any margaritas or taco bar because they didn't offer it to me, nacho bar. But the other thing I'm interested in talking about with you is the idea of this as a venue for future events. It does feel like a place that could easily host fields of 80 to 100. The only thing that makes it slightly complicated is you really cannot have a big number of fans here. It's not built infrastructure-wise for a giant number but are we moving to a new normal where there are some golf tournaments where we can have limited field and limited fan kind of events
2: I think we should be we should be right well it's a, desirable a couple, a couple weeks ago we were in Jackson Mississippi at at a, at a great golf course but I, you know I think for the tour and the guys we got 50 events this year I would love to see us uh, really start to highlight these iconic courses that a bunch of us can go and play. Now, the price tag on this one is pretty ridiculous, to be fair, as you said. Um, But it's so fun, the more we get to see golf courses... That we can go play. That's what is great about Harding Park. You know the PGA at Harding Park and Beth Page when we saw the PGA and and the U.S. Open there, et cetera. Augusta's gorgeous, but you're never going to get on Augusta. Shadow Shadow Creek, you've got a chance. You got to have the coin to do it, or you got to lose the coin to, to for them to make it up to you by putting you on the course. But it's it, I, I think we. Uh, We know from the restart that these smaller format charity events are just fun to watch. And if Phil Mickelson and Charles Barkley are going to play a match that we're all going to watch, you know, you got to believe that they could feature Shadow Creek in some compelling smaller player format, whether it's a 78 guy field or a, or a, you know, eight guy field. I think this is where we're headed. You are right though. This course is not built for spectators. It just isn't.
0: So it, it, it needs to be a special venue for special event kinds of things, but I will join you in commending it for how well it presented for this this uh, week's event, and it was a very seamless uh, transition from South Korea. We would have preferred. I love Nine Bridges. I love watching Nine Bridges on television, but you know uh, Shadow Creek is a place that we don't often get to see the best players in the world compete at, and that was cool. The one last thing that I wanted to just uh, recognize is Jason Kokrak, uh, in particular, with his. His known skill is hitting the living daylights out of the golf ball. He's always one of the longest off the tee. The thing that distinguished him this week was his putting, but he was also absolutely fearless off the tee. And this is not a golf course where this is another reason why I I really wish I'd known that he had this uh, previous experience here. Because you have to really trust the lines. You you your own software out there. Uh, let let me put it in the form of a question rather than offering it as a confirmatory kind of like a you know as a statement. I mean, it feels like a lot of those t balls are shoots. Like you you have to like have a view on what you're aiming at, that aiming point off on the horizon, and feel very comfortable, and then just take that big swing that you that you know. Do you do you agree with that?
2: That is exactly right. A lot of blind finishes again, Augusta-like in the elevation changes within a hole. And uh, the rough this week was not easy. In fact, you know, there was some argument that maybe they should have trimmed it back to give guys a little bit more of a chance because it would have forced some strategic decisions instead of them just hacking it out, uh, you know, 50 to 100 yards, which is what we mostly saw. But that course, uh, you know, I think driving the ball was at a premium for sure obviously because cockerack did great but it really comes down to that second shot and and the that golf course really is defined by some tough, tricky pins, some you know multi-tiered greens, and if you're not in the fairway on that course, you're dead. That said, uh, it wasn't the most impossible driving course. Th- that's something that you're going to see at Sherwood this week too, which is fun because it means that uh, after some bombing and gouging, and you know Bryson wasn't there, and DJ had to pull out, and Tony Finau had to pull out, so we didn't have three of the biggest sticks in the room. Um, but after a lot of that, it, it was fun to see guys have to think strategically this week about placement uh, and shot shape, et cetera.
0: I'm glad that you um, have mentioned a couple times Augusta. What is the feedback from top 20 finisher Mark Hubbard in terms of the speed of the, of the greens? I, I know Marky's played Augusta before. He hasn't played in the Masters, I know but has he played uh, Augusta
2: National? So the feedback on the speed is that it it does like th- this week those greens were immaculate cuz of what you said you were out there by yourself. The, the course just doesn't get that much play. Right. And and that's another fun part of playing it versus, you know, you go out and you get on Pebble or you go play Harding Park, you know, those greens are going to be have the crap beaten out of them because they weren't closed for 2 weeks before the tournament. These greens were just lightning quick. And I do think it is an important part of the game right now. It's one of those last defenses that we have. I mean, coming in on 18, I saw guys on Thursday hitting shots in over, you know, 25, 30 feet past the hole to the top of a ridge and bringing it back to four inches. The pin placement on Sunday made it impossible to do that. You know, we didn't see a lot of eagles, right? We saw a lot of guys blasting it through the back of the green. So greens like that that are hard, firm, fast are one of those last defenses when we've got guys who are hitting it just so damn far. And that drive that Kokrak hit on 18. Yes. In, I mean, that just slammed the door.
0: That's right. 164 yards he had in on his second shot on that par five, which for him, I don't know whether whether that was nine iron uh pitching wedge or eight iron. Um, but he certainly had no problem whatsoever hitting a very high lofted shot in there and making his birdie and being, you know, going on his way.
2: We cannot move on without recognizing the what the hell happened to Matthew Wolf line of the week. <laughs> which is that he came out on Thursday and definitely had hit the margarita machine yes, and shot an 80. And then he came out on Friday and dropped a 73. And then he came out on Saturday with a 69. And you thought, hey, all right, maybe we're going to see a 64, 65. No, no, no. He dropped a 77 that could have been an 85. I don't know what happened to Matthew Wolf, but I got to come back to what we've been talking about over these last three weeks. And that is... Do not trust the young guys in Vegas.
0: Well, I have a sneaking suspicion. He used this as a recharge the engines. You know, let me, let me recalibrate my life here. I've been playing competitive golf. There's a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety. I'm in a place where we can blow off some steam. There's no danger of me missing a cut. I just finished tied for second. In a playoff, let's just blow off a little steam and have a little fun. I wish I'd known. I don't begrudge him it, but I just wish I'd known that that was going to be his mindset coming in, because I would not have put him in the DFS lineups that I had him in.
2: Four nights of Carbone. I think he talked Xander into coming Friday night based on the Saturday <laughs> rounds, but it was it was a little strange to see a guy who's been who's been kicking ass. Uh, Kick his own ass through through most of the course, but I, I I do think you're right that he's been playing at such a high level. you would not begrudge him uh, a week or two to to hit the reset button and gear up for for Augusta because he has been incredibly competitive in these majors. But we couldn't let the the Vegas bedshit round of the week go without recognizing it, it
0: was the Vegas bedshit tournament of the week. I mean, he basically is like, I, I'm out. I'm at Tau. I'm at Carbone. I'm going to be at the Caesars tables. Actually, he should not go to the Caesars tables because those mother effers are only paying sixty five, six to five on on blackjack. Go to the, get off the strip and go into town so you can get to the the regular blackjack odds. Um, speaking of, by the way, guys that finished inside the top forty, but that fit this narrative you just mentioned, which is we're revving up a little bit for Augusta. There are two names. Do you know what the two names are that I want to mention to you? Let me hear it. Brooks Koepka Yeah. and Jordan Spieth. Yeah. Both guys with interesting things happening in their golf games at this golf tournament in Las Vegas. Brooks Kepka, 74-68-68-73. Now, he did not finish the week the way that he wanted to with that 73, but back to back sixty eights on the on the scorecard. And at that point, you know, 74, 68, 68, he still had a chance at maybe sliding in a little backdoor top 10, definitely top 15. The 73 kept him out of that yeah. mix because guys are out there scoring low. I mean, you know, the, the winner of this golf tournament Shot eight under 64 on Sunday. Xander Schauffele shot six under uh, 66 on Sunday, and t- Tyrrell Hatton. By the way, we got that one wrong. Boy, did we! 65, seven under. Now we we were just in our defense. We'll go do a very quick uh, side tangent on Tyrrell Hatton. We had a, a great concern about the nine hour time difference between. We were right. Yeah.
2: Well, that's true. We were right. The Englishman played horribly.
0: It played it caught up to him on Saturday. He shot 73 after shooting 65 68 and then he came back with a 65.
2: Yeah, but so. it took out Fleetwood, it took out Rose, it took you right. So there were a lot of guys who made that trip, but boy, massive hat tip to this guy for hanging in there and I, I, you got to you got to take a look at his odds for Augusta at this point. Because he's just playing too well. We're on him. That's a thousand percent right. Everybody listening to this
0: podcast right now. It's the week of October the nineteenth, twentieth, twenty-first. Look at Terrell Hatton's Masters odds. That guy. There is a track record of uh, strong track record of of outstanding performance by European players. Good track record of Brits at this venue. Justin Rose Danny Willett I mean so let's let's little maybe sprinkle a little on the on the TY hat but we started off by just wanting I just want to give a little recognition yep. I want to get your your feeling for where we might be with Brooks Kepka and, and Jordan Spieth. Jordan Spieth, who by the way was five under on Sunday three under. On Saturday, eight under par on the weekend after shooting back-to-back 74s, but still, is
2: something happening? Are there are, are there green shoots? I have overcalled this, early called this way too many times. You know, I'm on the Spieth train. I'm always gonna be on the Spieth train. I like what I'm seeing. I really do. Uh, it, it it was eye-opening that this guy had to get a sponsor exemption. To play in a tournament with ostensibly the 78 best players playing right now, but he used it well, and let's see how the next week looks for him. and And Brooks is going to take this week off and pick it back up in Houston to to get to the other guy that you talked about. Brooks gave us what I thought he'd give us, which is some moments of strength overall. You know, a top 30 finish is what we'd called for. Uh, he looked fine. He's still got getting sharp. I think uh, when he plays in Houston, he's going to tune it up, and I think he's going to be competitive at the Masters. Jordan is the one where when we get these rounds, you know, we sort of stop looking at him because he shot back-to-back 74s to open the thing, but when we get these rounds of brilliance, y- you see it's in there, and you know that at some point it's going to come.
0: Eight under uh, on the weekend was not uh, surpassed by by many players. Like no, that's that's way better than Xander Shoffley
2: shot over the weekend. No, and by the way, his 67 came with four bogeys on the back. So he, he really, he's still doing the Jordan Spieth train, which is you know accelerate and slam the brakes, accelerate and slam the brakes. But the game is in there. There are some other things that are in there between the ears that are in the way, but you can see him making progress. I just think if he's going to break through, it's going to be at Augusta. So let's see how he does this year.
0: We're kind of now officially in the sprint to Augusta. I mean, this this really is is the, the moment, I think. As we commence this event at Sherwood, we have oh the welcome return of none other than his eminence Tiger, Tiger Woods, y'all. Tiger Woods is in the field this week, Nate Dog. Now, I know you have some thoughts on Sherwood. We have our pal, Jason Sobel, coming on shortly. And Sobel's going to have some picks for us. And I want to hear what Sobel thinks about Tiger. But you were the lucky uh, recipient of a terrific guest opportunity by the outstanding hospitality of the, our friends at, at Sherwood Country Club. You, as a as a L.A. resident, got to go over there and play a little. Let's hear about what we might expect at Sherwood.
2: Well, you know, I got to play with Rob Oosterhouse, who's the CEO, general manager of Sherwood, and a couple of great members. And they have just done an incredible job getting this course into shape. You said it's the run-up to the Masters, and we're going to have greens this week that are probably starting at 13 on the stint meter, and by Ooh, Sunday they're going to be at 14. I like those. Yeah. yeah, so so we're going to have some beautiful tiered, undulating greens that are, uh, y- you know, it's bent f- fairways and greens, rye rye in the rough. But th- these are going to be. Uh, really fun to watch the guys play. It was absolutely beautiful. As much as Shadow Creek was gorgeous, this course is really going to equal it this week. You know, it's a membership that's sort of like a who's who of Hollywood and sports and entertainment and some great business minds there. But it's got a lot less of the pretentiousness that gets attributed to uh, Riviera and LACC, where the U.S. Open is going to be held in a couple of years. It's just this amazing piece of property. It's called Sherwood because... They filmed everything there back in the day. Robin Hood, the opening helicopter scene in MASH, like the Dukes of Hazard, all the old school TV shows and movies were filmed there. Nicholas took it over in the eighties and turned it into this incredible beautiful course. And there are just these gorgeous canyon views. There's a ton of water in play. There's creeks running through the property. Lots of those familiar sycamore trees that we see at Riviera and that you're used to that defend the greens in a lot of ways. But the topography of the canyon that it's in creates some really cool agronomic situations like the there's some coals that don't get the circulation that they need so the rest of the course is on bent they've got a couple of tees that are on bermuda just to try to keep them alive so they've got all these challenges there in addition to you know the seven weeks that they had to get this tournament ready but um you know it 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 is an, an enormously fun golf course i played it like absolute crap and I can tell you all of the places that you don't want to be. But what I'll say about the course is, uh, we're going to see a lot of really interesting strategic choices. We are getting robbed this week by not having DJ, who has the course record, by the way, which he w- which he shot uh, in a fivesome with Wayne Gretzky and Janet Gretzky, uh, and and their kids, I guess. Uh, so, but we're it's disappointing that Bryson and DJ aren't going to play it because they would have made our jaws drop here. There's a couple drivable par fours. uh, And, and, you know, the course is only going to be about 7,100, 7,200 yards this week. Uh, And so those guys would have had the opportunity to pick some lines over trees through canyons that, that we just, that, that we just won't get to see. But, Hey, there's you know, we still have twenty one of the top twenty five players in the world, I think this week. So it's going to be amazing to see how they attack this course, which just like Sherwood is going to be a second shot golf course where of the best ball strikers of the week, the guy who has the hot putter is going to win.
0: You said just like Sherwood, I think you meant just like oh, yeah, just Sh- like Shadow, Shadow Creek. Creek, excuse me, but yeah. so. Do you know the answer to this? So it, it is kind of listed for the for the members as like just over 7,000 yards from the tips with five par fives and yes. five par threes. Are they going to play it that way or are they going to take one of those par fives to make it a par four?
2: No, they are going to play it that way. What they do is they switch the nines, but then they keep uh, nine and 18 the same. And that's largely because they've got this signature par three 15th hole that will remind you of the 17th par three that we saw at shadow Creek last week. They're very similar in this sort of gorgeous water surrounded holes, but, um, but yeah, they're going to play this with, with the, on the back tournament back, there are going to be three par fives and three par threes. Ooh,
0: that, I mean, that's, Dead sexy, brother.
2: It is. And and just to be clear, when DJ shot the course record 61, Janet Gretzky, I think, only played the par fives in two over. So these guys are going to eat them up, I'm guessing. Yes. Uh, and, 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 but that's not all, because right out of the gate, on the first hole that these guys are playing, there's a 350-ish yard par four that's drivable for many. Um, you know, so there are some gettable par fours out there too. This is not going to be a whole or a course that's about the length. It's going to be, uh, it's really going to be about the way these guys think around the course. I think probably you got to believe the under over this week is something like 23, 24 under.
0: Yeah. Even better than shadow Creek. Kokrak shot 20 under at shadow Creek with an eight under
2: on Sunday, but yes, exactly. Yeah. Now, par is just a number, but but we're going to see some scores here. I just think that it's not necessarily only going to reward the Bombers because you've got a lot of beautifully protected greens that are going to be fast. W- when did you play? What, what time of day did you play? So I played in the morning and it was 105 degrees by the time we made the turn. Yeah. And the weather is going to be much, much cooler this week. Right. But, it, but it's reflective of what they've been dealing with over the last seven... I mean, they had seven weeks notice to get a course and, and a club ready to host this thing. So it's reflective of the kinds of challenges that they've had to just get here to this moment this week.
0: Well, and I asked that question because... I'm interested in whether there is going to be any advantage for the guys that go off in the morning versus the guys that go off in the afternoon. Now, this is another smaller field. I think it's only like 78 78 again. Yeah, again. Uh, So another invitational. And the weather forecast from what I've seen suggests sort of quiet breeze kind of uh, conditions in the morning, slightly cooler, but then once it sorts of warm up around lunchtime, the breeze picks up and it can be 10 to 15 miles an hour. And I'm wondering if that might impact the guys that that are off um, in the afternoon. Do you have a view on that?
2: I think it could. We're gonna have unseasonably cooler temperatures this week after everything was was really baked out. I, I think that the, the tea times maybe are gonna be less uh, impactful sort of early late than than they normally would. If if this tournament had been played last week, the guys in the morning would have been in pullovers and the guys in the afternoon would have been dying in 105 degrees. There'll be less variability. When those winds come through that canyon, though, and, you know, we've seen a lot of the fires... Uh, over the past few years that that indicate what can happen when those winds pick up. When the winds whip through those canyons, they're real and and you can feel them. The good news for those guys is, you know, you're not dealing with a ton of length that's going to impact you there.
0: Okay. Well, uh, one of the things as we try to prognosticate a little bit about, you know, who's going to be successful at this venue, we do have a track record at Sherwood because Tiger held his uh you know select
2: target world uh, challenge here. That's yeah. it.
0: his own select event at this place for a, over a decade, right?
2: He did. Yeah, and so
0: we have like 12, 13 years worth of uh, professional golf uh, indication of, of what's gonna work at this joint.
2: Yeah Jack this is a Nicholas course and and Jack came back in in I think 1415 and did sort of a refresh. It didn't change a whole lot, put in some bunkers um, you, you know, did, did Jack things sprucing, sprucing it up. I think, you know, I went back and looked, I had, I was at this course in 2006 when Tiger held the event. And I went back and I found the little sort of whatever pass that I had for it, but that was 2006. A lot has changed since then. And from a technology standpoint, you know, we've talked about that endlessly as, has the rest of the golf world golf's different now. So yeah. I'm not totally sure Okay, how much past performance is going to be an indicator of of results this week. But I will say this. I feel good about Tiger Woods this week, Joe House.
0: Oh, all right. Well, let's go ahead and do this week in Tiger Woods. Tiger, Tiger, Tiger Woods. (laughs) Nate Dogg feels good about Tiger's chances. Let's hear it. Let me hear the, you know, you got my attention, my full
2: attention, my brother. Anytime you tell me that we've got a second shot course with fast Augusta-like greens that isn't too long, and I know the irony and and, and how strange that sounds when we're talking about Tiger, but where Tiger's going to be able to just swing and not have to pound the ball to keep up with guys, protect his back, rely on the quality of his ball striking and give him a chance at a course that he's familiar with, that he loves clearly, to to work his way around those greens. I think we're going to have a better performance from Tiger on this course coming back from this break than we would have expected almost anywhere else.
0: Well, we know for sure that he's going to be comfortable with the lines, that we know that the yardage is not going to be an impediment, that the rough isn't going to be an, an, an impediment, that he's going to be able to get himself around. It'll feel comfortable. It'll feel somewhat second nature. It's a California golf course. We know of his track record on a California golf course. The greens are a combo of Bentgrass and Poa because uh, they had the overseed with Poa for the time of year that they they're doing this this thing which I think is not that um, different from the way they've been when they hold you know, when he's hosted his own tournament this the greens are big so there's a lot of things that suggest that Tiger will feel comfortable will be able to get around the limited field aspect of it certainly helps as well I won't a- ask you yet we'll wait for Sobel to come on before I ask you for where you think Tiger might finish, because I want to hear Sobel's take on it um, as well. But I, I happen to subscribe to your view on this. It also fits this particular trajectory, which is today is, as we've mentioned, October the 20th. The show's up uh, the 20th or the 21st, and we are in the home stretch for Augusta National. And one thing we know about Tiger Woods is this. He's got that tournament, the Masters, circled on his calendar. He had to recalibrate. We think it might have been a good thing for him that he didn't have to compete in April because there was some kind of mysterious physical thing that he was struggling with, clearly, based on his performances and his, and, and his withdrawals from tournaments at the end of February into March. Um, but I think if we see something exciting out of him this week, it could just build
2: on itself. I mean, that's kind of the mind frame that I have at this moment. I think you're right. Tiger is the defending champion here and he is defending champion at the masters.
0: When you say here though, it's the tournament that he competed in Japan. It's not physically, not physically Sherwood.
2: That's right. Let's not forget that he won the tournament a year ago, different course. I came in this week absolutely with the conspiracy theory that Tiger was heavily influential in which course this went to. Oh, Now, in talking to, to, to Rob Oosterhaus, he is the guy who initiated uh, contact with the tour when it was clear over the summer, that this thing was not going to happen in Asia. There was just no way to get the guys over there. He emailed the tour and said, hey, is there anything we can do to be helpful? That said, uh, you got to believe that they were thinking about, hey, Tiger's defending champ. Is this a tournament we can get him back at? Somebody must have made a call uh, to, help, to help nudge this thing and make sure he would be happy to come back. So I think the point of it is this. This is a course that he, is, he has chosen to host events at, so we know he loves it. Uh, there is something about Tiger being defending champ at, at any term. And as we know, he has a history of, you know, when he used to just dominate the Buick, when he crushes, uh, Jack's course, Augusta, so on and so forth. Um, so, so he has some favorite tracks. This is one of them. This is one of them. The weather's going to be okay. Uh, you know, the course is going to be in absolutely pristine shape, uh, you know, there were a lot of ways that this course could have been screwed up over the last seven weeks between the fires and the and the heat, and, and the team there has done just unbelievable work. Uh, but I think Tiger's going to feel good, and that's not to say we're betting him to win this week, house. But uh, his odds—you uh, gotta you gotta think about a good finish from Tiger this week. This is the last time we're going to see him before he plays Augusta.
0: That's exactly right, and, and uh, I want him to give us our money's worth. So let's let Jason Sobel in on this conversation and see what he has to say. We had to welcome Sobel in because this most recent uh, event, the CJ cup at shadow Creek featured something, an innovation that the tour has never seen before, which is live betting odds. While the tournament occurred. I mean, the broadcast is up and we are seeing not just odds to win the tournament, but who's going to win the next hole. And on the 18th hole for the first time ever in the history of the PGA tour, you could bet on Xander Shoffley head to head against Jason Kokrak to win that hole. Now that's something that degenerates like myself and Nate could do. You can do that with your book. If your book is offering live odds, but the fact that that was all part of the broadcast and, um, there was some indication. I, I think I heard or read that, that folks were on Shoffley. Um, and then Coke hit it 397 yards or whatever it was to leave himself a wedge in and whoever bet Shoffley lost immediately. But, uh, That's a real innovation. It's very interesting. And I'm very excited to see sort of where that takes us. So let's see what Jason Sobel has to say. This episode is brought to you by Evernorth Health Services. Costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And Evernorth is doing everything in their power to make that possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best. It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that'll benefit your bottom line. It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because they're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions? That's wonder made possible. Learn more at Evernorth.com Wonder. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. wins keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply this episode is brought to you by cars.com when you add your car to your garage on cars.com you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth plus view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. On the line right now, speaking of Jason Sobel, is that guy right from Golf Bet, right from the Action Network. Sobel, welcome to this iteration of Fairway Roll. And we had to have you on this week, my friend, because we had this wonderful moment in the telecast of professional golf that featured all these live odds, including Xander Shafley head to head against Jason Kograk on the 18th hole. Oh my God. I'm so excited.
1: What's up boys. Uh, First of all, uh, that was glorious to see odds on the screen the entire week. I thought that was really cool. Uh, I almost feel like uh, because guys like you uh, and other friends of mine in the industry have, have called me up saying, Wow, isn't that great? Like almost like crediting me. Like, hey, you, you you cover golf and you cover the golf gambling aspect, and great job. Look what you and like I I had nothing to do with this, guys. I I it, this is not me. I, I was not in on this, but I fully support and endorse uh, everything uh, related to golf and gambling. So I will tell you something that you know. Not we may have actually had this conversation on the pod a year ago, if not us, then I had this conversation with some other people. And I'm I'm talking 12 to 18 months ago. You know, when will we have live odds on a PGA Tour telecast? Not necessarily the streaming broadcast where they can experiment a little bit, not on digital, but on the actual telecast. I said, yes, it will absolutely happen. And I set the over-under, I believe at the time, at probably 2023. Golf does not move that quick. The PGA Tour does not move that quick. I figured it would take other sports, Getting into that frame of mind first, I figured we would need to have the NFL, Major League Baseball and the NBA having odds live on the screen before the PGA Tour would do it. Frankly, I'm shocked. I'm ecstatic. I I think it's awesome. And I think this is only the tip of the iceberg. I mean, we can only just sort of open our minds from here and see what's going to happen moving forward from this.
2: This is Jason Sobel making a case for the good parts of COVID, I guess, because that is really what happened here because golf restarted and it was all alone, right? And it was just out there. And and we clearly were able to bring in a new audience of people who were just looking for something to do. And when you, when you couple that with the fact that you're gonna have a lot of municipalities now that are gonna need that tax revenue after everything we've been through, you know, the best, the best bet you've made is, is taking this gig, uh, and becoming the guy who covers golf and gambling. Cause you saw this coming, but let's talk about where this can go. Because what I realized on Sunday was there's Russell Henley who's hit his drive. He's three back. We, you know, he tees off and we've got about, I don't know, four or five minutes until he's going to hit the next shot. Well, If he sinks his second shot, he's going to get into a playoff, right? So it still matters. And, of course, he wasn't, and the odds were super slow or super uh, long on that. But you realize that with the time between shots that happens in golf, not unlike baseball, except there's even more time between the action, that it really opens it up to some real-time odds, real-time betting. As those tense moments come down the stretch, you could see a world in which you're going to be able to bet real-time on every putt. Tell us where you see this thing going, because you've been on it from the beginning.
1: Okay. So first of all, Nate, yes, it's the perfect activity, the perfect sport for it. Not only is there time in between shots to actually put those bets in and explain what the bets are, but I think it almost feeds into the analysis. I mean, basically the guys who are covering the event, the guys who are doing the, uh, the TV broadcast are basically speaking in terms of analysis and forecasting anyway. Hey, do you think this guy's going to make birdie here? Well, he needs to, what are the odds? Well, you know, you no longer have to say, "Well, uh, I give him a ten percent chance of making this." Well, if you did, then it would be ten to one up on your screen right now. It, it, it very infrequently would be ten to one for a guy to, you know, get up and down from a tough lie or something like that. Uh, that said, moving forward, here's my idea. See what you guys think of this. And this is the only sort of progression that I I can see, and, and I'm sure there's more to it, but. I think that we're going to get to a point in the not-too-distant future, and I don't think we're five years away. We might not be a year away, but we might not be five years away either, where, okay, you see those odds on the screen. Let's say, uh, House, the example you used, Cochrack uh, and Shoffley going to the 18th tee, and it says, what was it, Shoffley probably minus 110 to win the 18th hole, Cochrack plus 130 or whatever it might have been. Okay, you see that on the screen. Now, instead of opening up your phone or your laptop and going to your book and and placing that bet that you see right there. You've got a remote control in your heads. You've got a smart TV in front of you. You press the remote control, press a button on the remote, aim it at the screen. You hit that plus 130 on Coke rack right there. And all of a sudden you've got an account that is lined up with your TV somehow. And this is, the technology of this is way beyond me. It's above my pay grade, but I can see a time and a place in the not too distant future, where you basically hit your remote and you have bet ten bucks, hundred bucks, $1, thousand bucks, whatever you kind of want to bet. Good
2: God, big money from on Sobel. Jason
1: Kokrak. Uh, yeah, I bet. Hey, he loves in I want Kokrak winning the 18th hole on Sunday. A thousand bucks on that. Will you give me that at plus one thirty? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, two things on that point because you know it, it's it's very exciting and the aspect of it that I'm particularly enamored of is the all in effort by the tour itself. So like the tour could be the book, you know what I mean? Like rather than you having to interface with whatever private entity that you, now the, the, the tour will have all these partnerships. It has them now a whole slew of partnerships that creates the opportunity that, that takes out a bunch of these, um, you know, sort of logistic obstacles, these logistical obstacles where you could do your remote you could do your phone but the tour will be the you, you know the accelerant they will they will accommodate you trying to get in on this action cuz they want that interface they desire you participating as a live participant in
1: outcomes in golf tournaments right i still think there's a little bit of a slippery slope to the tour itself being our book um <laughs> I, I don't know that they're going that far and there's a reason why Over the last two months, they have announced four different official betting operators. I mean, like everybody now, uh, it's it's FanDuel, it's DraftKings, it's PointsBet, it's BetMGM are all official betting operators with the PGA Tour, which uh, tells you sort of where they're headed, first of all, and what their line of thinking is. And PGA Tour understands you cannot be five seconds behind. You know, whether it's you know, if it's DraftKings, say they can't be five seconds behind on a bet because. It's real easy for me in those five seconds to go, okay, I'll take Kokrak to make birdie after he hits it 360 right down the fairway. And I see the ball bouncing down there. It needs to be absolutely to the second live. Who owns all that proprietary data and all that information? PGA Tour does. And so they're getting a little kickback from all of those books as well. So the tour is basically in a win-win situation here. And you know, as much as I'd like to think, hey, this is good to get fans interested. This is a good investment in the game. This is good for engagement, uh, the Tour understands where this is going to hit him. It's going to hit him in the pocketbook, and this is going to be big-time money for the PGA Tour moving forward.
2: Well, it's an interesting model, and House is not too far off the rails on that. I mean, the Australian Open tennis tournament owns all of that. They own all the data. They function as the book. And and they've done that in part because they think that they can maintain the integrity of the game a bit better. And and tennis in particular has had some problems being as global a sport as it is with, with a lot of guys getting some pressure, uh, you know, from uh, from my cousin Vinny uh, in terms of how they play. So the next question that I have for you is what's cool, look, what's cool about the in in-round betting is, because those circumstances are changing as a natural part of competition it really preserves the integrity better because these moments sort of arise but but how do you think about golf which has always been a game of honor always a game of integrity maintaining that level of integrity when you really just start to in you know inject a lot of the the gambling components can we keep it can we keep it pure
1: i have brought this question up to pga tour vps who are sort of in charge of overseeing their gambling operations there and the answer I've gotten is now that it's legalized and regulated, they can get some red flags. you know if someone puts half a million dollars on a head-to-head matchup for one guy over another, all of a sudden that red flag is raised and they can see that. If it wasn't legalized, if it wasn't regulated, if this was 10 years ago and that bet is being made sort of on the quote unquote black market, well all of a sudden the PJ Tour doesn't doesn't know it's happening, doesn't understand it. And maybe there is some sort of backroom deal on that kind of thing. Now they believe they can, uh, they can see those red flags and they will be alerted to these types of bets. So I don't know that it's going to happen on the PGA tour. Maybe I'm being naive. I would think though, that if this gets to the lesser tours, you know, if you can do live betting on, you know, maybe the corn Ferry tour, or at least PGA tour, Canada, PGA tour, Latino America, the, uh, sort of the minor leagues where guys are, man, I, th- this guy wants me to take a flop. This guy wants me to dive and go shoot 78 today. And if I do it, I can make more than the guy who's going to actually win the tournament today. Maybe I'll do it. And so I, I think that's more where their concerns are. And that's probably why you aren't going to see those types of bets available for those types of tours. I, yeah. I think that this is going to be very PGA tour centric for
2: a very long time. Yeah. We're going to w- wade into it for sure. And yeah.
0: that makes a ton of sense, honestly. I mean, that that's the way to preserve the integrity. Well, I have an integrity question for you. And speaking of red flags, this is on a topic that you and I in particular, Jason Sobel have been discussing. It feels like for over a calendar year, which is the availability of relevant information and, I just want to tell you right now, I'm mad, and I might be mad at you because, as you know, I am an avid consumer of all of your hard work. Every single week, you have terrific uh, insights and observations about as the week sort of lines up, who's in form, angles to consider. Yeah, yeah, I feel a butt coming. Think, of course, I don't think I read anywhere in your work or any of the other work on Action Network, and honestly, to be fair across the board... In any of the other places that I go for research or information on this, that Jason Kokrak, speaking of Bet MGM, has played this mother effing venue a couple dozen times, at least in money games, and has a real familiarity with Shadow Creek, the Greens there. That would have been helpful information
1: to me last Tuesday. You know what I mean? So, so Nate mentioned before sort of the, the benefits of COVID, what we've gotten from that. We've got a lot more people gambling. We've got a lot more eyes on the game from that perspective over the last six to eight months. The negatives to this are that, man, I'm not out there. I haven't been in a tournament since they canceled uh, the players championship after the first round. And I, I had a chance to go this week and, you know, with some stuff at home, I just couldn't make it out to the Zozo this week at Sherwood. But, you know, this is one of those things where, And I say this all the time that, you know, and I hate to be one of these guys who's sitting at home prognosticating from home, because when I took this job, I said, I am going to be this hybrid of I'm a beat writer. I've been covering this game for a long time. I'm going to be talking to players. I'm going to be going to tournaments and I'm going to find out stuff, but I'm also going to cover it and find out this stuff and, and use it for a betting perspective and not being out there. This is exactly the kind of stuff house that I'm missing out on that. I'm not, walking around the range on a Tuesday afternoon running into Jason Kokrak, who I know fairly well. And, you know, I've sat there, had dinner with him before and uh, really good guy. And I like him a lot. Maybe I see Kokrak and I go, Hey, how you doing? He's like, Oh man, doing well. I love this place. One of my favorite courses. Oh yeah. you played here before. Yeah. I played there 20 times. I always win when I come out here. Oh really? Yeah, man. I play really well here. You know, I've got some roots here too. Some family. Oh, all of a sudden That changes the dynamic of how you're thinking, and I have not been out there to be able to do that, and it's killing me.
2: Well, I I can tell you, I was out there, and you're not missing that much, only because (laughs) I, I saw Harris English on Thursday, and I I texted House. I think Harris English has the yips because he was just flapping wedges, leaving putts 100 feet short and he finished T10 by the time it was all over. So I'm not sure being out there, but listen, I do want to ask you because you're underselling yourself a little bit. Last week, you were all over Xander and I was. you you knew it and and you made Uh, you know a very clear pick of him to win you also talked about brendan Steele, and you have a relationship with brendan so anytime you talk about brendan Steele, i always think okay he knows and brendan's going to play well this week brendan played in the toilet but you were on xander so talk to us about those you know that's those are two different outcomes but Mm -hmm. but you were you were right on it talk to us about how you ended up with with xander in particular knowing that he was really going to come through
1: you know, at some point you kind of look at the board and you say, okay, well, there's a little bit of value on this guy. He hasn't won in a while. I was looking for a guy last week that was overdue, quite frankly, and in retrospect, yeah, a guy that's been on tour for 10 years and hasn't won the golf tournament yet. Yeah. Uh, Jason Kokrak was pretty overdue as well. So uh, Xander is a guy that I, I probably pick more than I should, more than he wins. You know, I the, the ratio of me picking him to how often he wins is probably a little tilted, In my favor, as opposed to his favor, and there are a few guys like that. Tony Finau is a guy that I've picked way too much for a guy that's only won one top five uh, Tony alternate field uh, event. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Top ten Tony. Top ten. Yeah, I mean, there you know, there are certain guys out there that I I really like. I really like Neiman. I really like Abraham Answer. Um, those are guys that uh, on a given week I I usually, if they're in some sort of form, I like them. So I liked Xander last week. Uh, Nate, you you've probably seen this with your brother, where you I'm sure there's weeks where you talk to your brother, even just text him. And I do this with Brendan Steele as well. He's a good friend of mine. And so you're right. When I say that Brendan Steele's going to have a good week, there's usually some sort of intel. And the intel I usually get is like on Tuesday, I text him, I go, hey, how's it going out there? And if I get a ah, pretty good, then I'm like, ah, I'm going to stay away. And if I get it, oh, it's going really good. I like it here. Then I'm good. I mean, you, yeah. it's that little. And I don't it, know if you get it, that from your brother
2: as oh, well, yeah. but like it, I can, I can tell. And golf is such a, ridiculous sport that, you know, some, some guys come into the week feeling like crap. And then they up, you talk about my brother, there is no way I would have bet him last week. He was feeling <laughs> tired. I, he and a couple of the other golfers to who shall not be named went on a bender on like Sunday <laughs> night. And I was like, you know, I'm going to go out and no big deal. He, he finished T 17. I mean, he told me he tapped in. He thought he was like, High twenty, so you know that's the mindset he was in, and he and he had a top twenty. So go- golf is that game. I get it that that you get some feedback from the players, and even that sometimes doesn't help. But but on the Xander front, I just want to ask you because this is now a guy who's finishing second a lot, mm-hmm. a lot, big majors second. You know he was second at Augusta, he was third at Pebble. He's yeah, most most uh, I think second place finishes in the last four years. Mm-hmm is it just a matter of hanging around the hoop and he's going to break through or or is there something there that's keeping him from throwing the throttle all the way down and breaking into the class of JT and, and a few others who were part of that, you know, 14 corn ferry tour class.
1: So this is a question that I've dealt with for a long time now. In fact, I I do a segment on Sirius XM with Taylor Zarzer on the starter every Monday morning. And, uh, Eventually, Taylor usually asks me about the the guy who came close and didn't win, and I've started joking that this needs to be a sponsored segment because uh, I say the same thing every week, no matter who it is. And I've held on this for, for years now that basically any title contention is a good title contention. Whether you're in 12th place and shot 63 in the final round and got into a playoff and lost, whether you were leading by five and blew it on Sunday, shot 78 and lost. I still think that being in the heat of the battle is better than not. And so I will contend that finishing in second place for Xander is a whole lot better than finishing in eighth place all of those times. And so is there a little scar tissue that builds up over time? Yeah, maybe. Is it bothering him? Yeah, maybe. It should bother him a little bit. It should bother him that he's one of the world's best players and uh, for the last, what, 20 months now hasn't won a PGA Tour event. He's come... Really close, but I think long term, I just don't see it. I I don't see that being a negative, that being a deterrent. If a few weeks from now at Augusta National, Xander Shafley is leading on the back nine, I don't see it being, well, he always comes in second, so someone's going to pass him here because he's not going to win. I see it as he's had so much experience over the last couple of years coming close, being in the heat of the battle playing with those experiences that I just think it's a good thing for him moving forward. It's a good thing for everybody. I mean, I mean, I remember going back to Phil Mickelson, you know, having that label of best player to never win a major. Remember that? I mean, we used to talk about, Hey, Phil's 30 years old. He's got all these wins. You know, he still doesn't have a major championship. Can he ever break through and win? Is he going to go winless in majors for his entire career? And now we look back at that and laugh and we go, Phil won five times. Phil was a great major player. Phil probably could add 10 wins if, you know, the ball, a couple of putts had broken the right way for him over the years. But I still think those experiences, just getting onto the leaderboard, getting into the hunt are, are almost always positive experiences moving forward.
0: Well, and, and for those of us that uh, dabble in the gambling arts, there is a perfect way to cover off that kind of of angle, which is you go ahead and bet. You have a strong feeling about Xander is potentially winning this golf tournament, so you can just bet him to win and a top five, or you can do an each way bet, depending on where you you place your bet, and if your your uh, book will will honor an each way bet. And so that's that's the right way to do it because we know. Uh, as guys that, that have been paying attention to this for a little while, gambling on somebody to win a golf tournament is, is ridiculous. There's it's impossible to pick the winner any given point in time. You try and pick four or five guys that you've, you have a feeling for, but the way to cover off that, that, um, angle is to go ahead and do an each way bet, which covers through some number of places,
1: or you bet them to the top five as well. That's the sensible way to do it. Right. Is it so strange, House? How this controls the narrative, and I I take nothing away from. And and Kokrak's going to be the example here, just because he was the latest uh, winner on the PGA Tour. But you could say this any given week that if the tournament was sixty-nine holes, we might have had a different winner. If it was seventy-four holes, we might have had a different winner. It was seventy-two holes, and so we're sitting here saying, "Wow, what a great week for Jason Kokrak." What's wrong with Xander? Why can't he get over that hump? How come he keeps finishing second? And it's just you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that. One player was so much further ahead. I mean, we wouldn't look at it in terms of, well, hey, this guy finished in 27th place. This guy finished in 28th place. How come the guy in 27th had such a better week than the guy in 28th? Say, ah, it's It was about the same. And yet when it comes to the top guys, when it comes to first and second, we say, boy, huge gap. First means everything. Second, oh, nice paycheck. But, you know, sorry, bad luck for you. Yeah. Well, uh, this is a good
0: segue, and I, I, I don't mean to step on you, Nate. But we we did talk a little bit about a guy that's very familiar with first place and also a lot of comfort at the venue for this week at the Zozo, which is none other than Eldrick Tiger Woods. Nate and I shared, we compared some notes, we had some views, but we suspended our judgment because we wanted to hear your input on how you think the Tiger lines up this week.
1: Yeah, this is a tough one for me, so... We look back on on Tiger's form. Uh, I don't even know if we can say form because he, he hasn't played. He's played seven times this calendar year. He f- started the season with a share of ninth place at Torrey Pines in six events since then, nothing better than 37th place. And then you look at Sherwood, and guys, it would not surprise me whatsoever to learn that Tiger had a hand in, hey, you're the defending champion of the Zozo Championship. They have to move it from Japan. Hey, they might want to ask Tiger. Hey, where do you think we should go? We go, well, Sherwood's pretty cool. See, that was well my there.
2: conspiracy theory. Before I
1: played. Yes. Come <laughs> on.
0: Yeah, Nate <laughs> that had that going already.
1: Five <laughs> wins, five runner-up finishes at, at Sherwood. He loves that place. And so, yeah, there will be a lot of comfort level. That said, uh, first of all, guys, I, and Nate, I, I believe you're there this week. Uh, yeah, They're going to torch this place, are they? at 7,000 yards in a par 72. I mean, isn't this going to be like uh, – 25 under, 26 under winning this golf tournament.
2: I I think you're exactly right. I think that the most fun thing to bet this week is going to be the over-under on the finishing score because it could easily get there. We're going to be approaching TPC Boston levels if somebody's on a heater.
1: Yeah, with five par fives out there, and I believe all of them gettable. I mean, with the way these guys are hitting the ball these days. So I don't think that sets up well for Tiger anymore. Back in Tiger's prime, Tiger used to say, especially for major championships, yeah, I like it when it's, single digits under par where it's hard, but not so hard that you're just battling to make pars. but bogeys are are really good and bogeys help uh, lift you up the leaderboard a little bit. But really when tiger was in his prime, if you got a birdie fest, if you had a, an 18 to 20 under type of tournament where the winner would have to shoot that tiger's going to make more birdies than anybody else. And, and that's going to play into his hands these days. I think tiger wants a tournament where five under is going to win where you can grind out bars, you can hit long irons all over the place. It's going to, you know, it's not going to play into the hands of the bombers and yet that's not what this is going to be. So I, I don't think it's great for tiger. That said with sort of the good vibes come down, I, I got tiger for, you know, scraping into a top 20 on Sunday afternoon, you know, a, a T 18 kind of finish, you know, nothing terrible, nothing great. Um, Just sort of, there, you know, which has been a lot of basically the way I've described Tiger's play over the course of this entire summer, which is, well, wasn't terrible, wasn't great. It was just sort of, meh, which is, I guess, a takeaway when we speak about Tiger, because we've never really had that takeaway. I mean, Tiger's been, you know, amazingly good for most of his career. He's been really bad at, at different times in his career, whether it was injury, whether it was personal things he was going through. But we've never really seen Tiger just be kind of, eh, he's pretty good. And that's kind of what we have right now.
2: I, I like that assessment. I, I got I, House and I were talking earlier. I got to play the course uh, a week ago. And the rough is going to be up. It's going to be over three and a half inches. But the fairways are wide enough that I think Tiger's going to have a chance to hit irons that he's comfortable with into these greens. He, he You know, I, I, I think he's going to be hitting a lot of a lot of irons that that uh, he, you know, he doesn't have to go all deep into an iron to get it to the green, let's put it that way. And he's probably going to be playing a lot out of the fairway. And these greens are going to be fast. And so as a tune-up for Augusta, this isn't that bad. But if Tiger's going to finish in a kind of meh range, maybe, maybe upper third, we're going to feel good. We haven't seen a whole lot of play on this course before. And I think people are going to love what they see on TV, but how do you think about handicapping the field and who do you like as you look at a course where we just don't have that much history over the past couple of years?
1: Yeah. Let's name some names. Come on. Sobo, let's name some names. All right. So other than tiger, I mean, I, I will take Tiger's course history into account a little bit here based on the fact that he's won so many times, come close so many times. Other than that, they haven't played a tournament here since 2013. And, you know, Zach Johnson won that year. And, yeah, you had Graham McDowell the year before. I'm I'm not looking at any sort of course history. I mean, even the guys who have been around for a while and played this course, I'm really not looking at how they've played there. So I'm looking more at recent form. I'm looking at guys who can make birdies on par fives. Uh, The name at the top of my list is a guy who – And I base this a little bit on tiger because this is not the world challenge where they used to play at Sherwood, where, which was tiger's event, Uh, but it's going to kind of feel like it. It's going to feel like the world challenge is a limited field event. Tiger's the defending champion, even though he's not doing the heavy lifting on hosting duties, it's going to kind of feel like it. It's going to kind of feel like it's his event. Nobody likes impressing tiger woods more than Patrick Reed. And Patrick Reed has been playing some really good golf lately I think his number is a little too uh, too much, too high this week. I, I think that 22 to 25 to 1 is a nice number for Patrick Reed, who's got uh, three finishes of 13th or better in his last three starts, starting to fire on all cylinders. He knows Augusta is right around the corner. I like Patrick Reed a lot this week. A few more names. I never pick this guy. We talked about guys earlier, you know, Xander and Finau and Abraham answer guys I, I pick probably too often. I never like Bubba Watson. Never. I mean, even when he goes to Augusta, where he's won a few times, Riviera, he's won a few times, uh, Hartford, he's won three times. Even those places, I'm like, well, I feel like I'm chasing victories at those places, so I don't want to go after a guy who's won probably more than his allotment already. I love Bubba this week. Led the field in strokes gained tee to green last week. I thought after the pandemic started and they came back without fans, I thought it was right up Bubba's alley because he likes – He doesn't like playing in front of fans. He doesn't like people. He doesn't like crowds. And so I thought not having fans would really help him more so than anybody else. And yet he missed the cut in four of his first six starts. And I kind of threw it out the window. I said, all right, well, I guess that theory doesn't work for me. So the fact that he's playing better right now, leading into Augusta, I'm starting like Bubba a lot. And he's not a guy that I ever really like. I'll I'll throw Hideki on there. Hideki, I'll, I'll put it this way. If there was an American Company that was sponsoring a tournament on the Japan tour, and there was one American on the Japan tour. Don't you think he'd want to go out there and play his best golf? Just kind of show off for that American company a little bit. Well, it's sort of the the opposite this week, where the best player from Japan is playing in a Japanese-based tournament with a Japanese company as the title sponsor, and it's in America. Well, I I think Hideki and he was second here last year, obviously on the other side of the world, but I think Hideki is going to be a little more motivated than maybe usual as well. So um, he's another guy that I like and uh, we can get deeper too. I can give you a few more names, but right off the top, those are the guys that I like.
2: I love the Japan angle and I want to follow it up because there's another Japanese player who people should look at this week. I'd love to get your impression. And that's Takumi Kanaya, who's the top amateur in the world, 22 years old, little bit of inside info. He's going to be caddied by John Guyberger who is the son of Al, one of the first guys to shoot a 59 on the PGA Tour. He's coached and caddied at a really high level. He knows the course cold. And he's a caddy at at uh, Sherwood. So they called and said, we need your best guy. They're giving him a guy who can read every putt all over the course. I know this because he did it for me on Wednesday. Uh, and, and he's sitting there at you know, 275 to one or something right now. He's not going to win this tournament, but this is a really good young golfer who we haven't really gotten to see a whole lot on the world stage playing in a tournament, as you say, that's being televised back home, had a lot of connections to his home country.
1: Uh, you sold me. Uh, I didn't know any of that. I know, I know Kanaya. I know he was the number one uh, amateur in the world, but I I didn't know anything else besides that. And uh, Nate, you sold me. And I will add to that uh, both last week and this week. I love top 20 plays in these limited field events. It feels like the markets don't move enough for the top 20 plays because top 20 out of 78 players is a whole lot easier to get to than top 20 out of 156 players. And I feel like they don't cut those prices in half, even though the fields are cut in half.
0: You you beat me right to the punch. So Well, that's exactly the angle that I like the best this week is just top 20 plays. And I also am staring at it right now. I have Bubba on my card. Bubba is definitely getting some action from me. He finished, you know, se- tied for seventh last week. He's he's he played very well at the U.S. Open, where he's traditionally not, you know, the 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 challenge of it. And and I'll just I don't mean to to uh, disparage Bubba's me- mental acuity, but the mental challenge of the U.S. Open has not uh, been a, a Bubba's forte. Let's just put it that way. But he's been on a nice string. And look at these numbers over these last uh, you know handful of rounds. Stroke gain off the tee. Seventh strokes gain approach. Eighth scoring average, average 15th. He's in good form. And I'm going to just do this whole slew of guys in form for top 20 plays. And you can look at your your book. You can look at, uh, at FanDuel and get the top 20 numbers for this. Bubba's going to be a top 20. Uh, the gentleman that Nate just mentioned, whose name I can't repeat right now, is going to be a top 20. <laughs> Russell Henley is going to be a top 20, right? Because he's in, in, in form right now. Taylor Gooch, the uh, Thursday, he was on the leaderboard on, on Thursday at the CJ cup at shadow Creek, going to be a top 20 for me. And I, I'm going to just play, I'm going to lean into Colin more this week. Anytime you you tell me that I have a second shot um, golf course, the only thing more as always, Struck the ball beautifully all week at Shadow Creek, and he he putted for shit. But i um, more cow is at, at the top of my card.
2: Well, and he's out of Vegas finally, so that he he doesn't have the distractions. But this this is going to feel like home to him. How do you think Sobel about these English players who played at Wentworth? They came over. Most of them were in the toilet last week, except for uh except for Terrell Hatton, who we talked about earlier. Who just you got to take your hat off to that guy. But you know. Tommy Fleetwood sitting there at 45 to 1 right now. At this point, they've gotten over the jet lag. Is there any chance that those odds are a little bit longer than they ought to be just because of their performance last week and some of these guys are going to bounce back?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one byproduct of so many people betting on golf over the last six months or so, Nate, is that I think the lines are moving based on current form more so than they should. And so. If you like a guy who hasn't played well the last couple of weeks, I think you can get a really good bargain on him. You look at Justin Rose's number. I mean, Justin Rose, a world-class player. I know he's not playing well. I don't want him this week, but if you've got any sort of confidence whatsoever in Justin Rose, you're probably never going to find a better number on him than you would this week in a limited field. So of those players yeah, Hatton, I mean, you're right. You just got to say, Hey, Hatton's been really, really good this year. I mean, he's just been, um, the fact that less than 12 months ago, the guy had wrist surgery came back like it was nothing. And uh, I believe in his second start won the Arnold Palmer Invitational. So he's been great. Uh, the two names at uh, Fleetwood's one guy that uh, especially on a ball strikers golf course, I, I could see. And the one guy I really like out of that contingent that came over from Wentworth is Matthew Fitzpatrick. It's about time that Fitzpatrick yeah. won one of these U S based events. I mean, this feels like a really good week. He's played well on the West coast in the past. I, It sort of uh, takes me off him just a little bit. The fact that we could see a big red number on top of the leaderboard. He's a guy that tends to play better golf when it's closer to par. He likes playing tough golf tournaments, but still, it's not like he can't go out there and make some birdies too.
0: Yeah, so I can confirm to you, Sobel, that Nate and I are going to put a little something um, as soon as we hang up on this uh, Zoom call. On Ty Hatton to win the Masters, the odds are going to be in the thirty to forty-five range. I don't have the book open right now, but he's not under thirty to one right now. I don't believe so. That that's the kind of value that we're looking for, and you know, so he's a he's a tiny little play for this event. Any any other angles? What have we missed out on for the Zozo at, at Sherwood? Give us something that's a little bit of a longer shot that we might want to go ahead and dabble in.
1: Couple guys in that lower tier who, for DFS purposes, are are really uh, cheap this week. Uh, for top twenties, top tens are really undervalued. Joel Damon is a guy that I always think has a very high ceiling,
2: maybe a low floor. He's coming over for dinner, Sobel, so you better be careful on this one. Give me one. some
1: inside info. I'm
2: saying that I like him as a long shot. High ceiling, low
1: floor. That's what you want to be on the PGA tour. You don't want to be uh, low ceiling, high floor. You'd be Charles Howell your whole
0: life. What are you serving him, Nate? That might affect the bet. Surf,
2: <laughs> turf, and about 25 bottles of Cabernet if I can get it in him.
1: <laughs> I like him after that. So I, yes, I, I'm all over Damon this week. I, I like him. Uh, you're going to have some more inside info than I will, Nate, but. Uh, the other guy I, I like, look, at, there's no one stat. We all know this, you know, if, this would be a whole lot easier if there was one uh, predictive statistic where we could look at it and say, hey, so-and-so did this well, and so he's going to play well the next week. That would that'd be really nice if we had that. The one thing I do like to look at, especially guys playing on back-to-back weeks, is the strokes gained tee to green leader in the final round when they're playing the previous week. And that guy in Vegas this past week, was Danny Lee and Danny Lee seems really undervalued to me in the marketplace. I, I think that uh, based on how he hit the ball last week, he tends to get a little streaky. So if he's uh, on his game, still this could be a good one for him this week.
2: I, I love, love that. I love that pick too. Danny Lee has had some fire rounds. He just has not strung all four together yet. Uh, yeah. But House, you know, when I come back to it, I love your Morikawa pick. He's been sort of lurking. And uh, he's out of Vegas. He's super comfortable here. It feels like a home game for him. Uh, it's just hard in these events to pick the winner. I, I still feel, as I said earlier, Sobel, I wish we had DJ and Bryson on this course just to see the kinds of lines and bombs they could hit. But, you know, without it, it's still going to be a pretty kick-ass field this week.
1: I, I mean, guys, we've mentioned all these players. We have not mentioned John Rom, who I really like, especially for... If you don't want to bet on him at a single... Uh, digit odds this week. Okay, I get that. But for DFS purposes, John Rom, if you look, he's got five wins over the last two years. Four of them came on the second of back-to-back weeks that he was playing. He tends to play much better once he's played a week already going into the week that he's playing. So, like Rom, we haven't mentioned JT barely at all. We've barely mentioned Rory at all. I mean, these these are, this is a world-class field. There's a lot yeah. of really good players in any one of these guys capable of uh, winning this golf tournament. Well, so
2: Sobel, last question for you from me, which is we're not going to learn much at in Bermuda or Houston, and that's no. what we've got left before the Masters. So as you start to dial in your Masters picks, have you got somebody in mind already? And 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 what between now and then will change the way you think about who's going to win that tournament? I'm
1: very slowly getting there. I, I wish I had more right now. Um, people start asking me, you know, I played golf today. My buddies were like, who's going to win the Masters? I'm like, I, I don't know. Let me see the weather. Let me see the course. Let me, you know, I, I like seeing some stuff before I uh, have to make my pick. Um, that said, you know, I, I always go, well, I don't know, who's going to win the NFL in week 15? And they go, well, I, I don't know. I go, exactly. Why Why would I make a pick in the NFL uh, three or four weeks from now? I guess that would that'd be, what, week 10. Um, before I had to, I same reason, I wouldn't make a Masters pick right now unless I absolutely have to or unless, like you guys said about Hatton, that you can get some value that you think might not be there when the tournament week comes around. That said, Xander is a guy that I still like a lot. JT is a guy that I like a lot. Those guys are going to be uh, pretty low odds. If you're looking further down the board, I, you know, I, I hate to say it. Bubba, I mean, uh, the way Bubba's playing right now, I'm very interested to see how he plays this week. If he puts together another good one, I could see Bubba Matthew Wolf is going to get a lot of people talking about him. Maybe got people off of him based on, uh, that, that Vegas bed shit
2: round. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But Vegas I, bed I shit tournament. He took the whole tournament off. Yeah. I, I still think, I mean, especially let's see this week. This is a week. Uh, this is a course that he said he's played a thousand times before. So let's, let's see him on this one. If he's still struggling here, then maybe you fade him a little bit, but, um, Matthew Wolf's the guy I could see, but no, I don't have that clear picture moving forward that I would like to have but maybe by the end of this week I will.
0: Yeah, you're not supposed to. We're still 3 weeks out. You you made the right point. You know, we're all digesting. Like golf is a game of infinite variables and we have to be able to have uh, a little bit of insight uh into, you know, narrowing down the the variables between now and November the what is it? The 12th? Is that the yeah. Thursday of the Masters? Yeah. yeah. So, we'll, we'll 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 get there, but we have an outstanding tournament this week. A lot of big name guys. Another great uh, opportunity to watch the best players in the world at a venue that we haven't seen in, you know, seven or eight years. And we just gave out 10 great names my birdie buddies. So you're welcome as always. Jason Sobel speaking of your welcome. Anytime you want to come on, you're always welcome, my brother. Thank you for coming on the Fairway Rolling Podcast.
1: I'll never leave if you tell me that. Thanks boys. Appreciate you having me. <laughs> Thanks so
0: Nate Dog, always a good time my par-saving pals, we shall be back next week with another episode of Fairway Rollin' between now and then please, hit him straight out there